State of Digital Publishing is creating a new publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this episode, we speak with Brittany Hitt, Senior Mobile Editor at The Wall Street Journal, about the state of mobile journalism. Let's begin. Hi, Brittany. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm not too bad, thanks. In this special podcast episode, I've also got with me co-hosting Simon Owens, who also has his own podcast, The Business of Content. How are you, Simon? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for letting me join you. Definitely. Um, so we've got Brittany on for today's episode just to speak about mobile journalism. So just if we could start with your background and your role at Wall Street Journal. Uh, sure, I'll, I'll try to keep it as short as possible. So I'm a senior editor at the Wall Street Journal in New York, and I currently oversee push alerts and our notifications and strategy uh, at the journal here. I previously helped to relaunch the WSJ app last summer, which we completely revamped and redesigned on iPhone, and that has since been rolled out to Android. And before that, I also helped to launch What's News, a, an experimental app that the Wall Street Journal did that uh, we have since sunsetted, but we used a lot of our learnings from that app when we did the relaunch of the main app this past summer. And before that, I've, I've been an editor kind of in various places for the journal. Uh, started in New York, I, then I spent several years in Hong Kong and a few years in Beijing and Wow. So, so you were like in the bureau and all those different bureaus. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. So how big is your team, your, your team in the mobile department? I think we're about 14 roughly. And that includes one person in Hong Kong and two people in London. And like, what's the kind of like skill set breakdown of that team? It really varies. Uh, you know, we have some people who come from a very traditional editing background, you know, who have worked on like print paper and you know, have done various roles like copy editing, that kind of stuff. Uh, we also have some people who are more on kind of like the tech side. We have some people who do templates work and have some coding skills. And then, you know, then there's kind of people in the middle <laughs> who have a little bit of a little bit of both. So, yeah. I was just going to ask, Brittany, how, how did you start in, in mobile journalism and how did the team start up in the uh journal. well i got involved just because i out? kind of you know by nature of just being kind of young and more digitally savvy i guess than than some other people i you know was involved in hong kong when we first really started doing social media i uh, did a bit of that and you know we under our social media editor there um we launched on wechat a popular messaging app in China, and we also launched online, which is a messaging app that's popular in Japan, Thailand, and some other places in Asia. So I had been involved a little bit in some of the stuff we were doing there. And then when they were launching this new What's News app, they just came to me and said, oh, we need somebody to kind of oversee it in Asia overnight. Would you be interested? And so I said, sure. I figured, you know, hey, mobile is the future. So I'm not going to turn down a job to uh, work on things that are going to be important in the future. And is that what led to growing a department um, a mobile team? Well, there was always, well, not always, but there was a te- there was a pre-existing mobile team before that. We've had an iPad app since the iPad first launched, uh, and that was handled by a, a separate team. And then, you know, once we sunsetted the What's News app, we sort of combined these two teams, and so it grew out a bit. 
Okay. And so has the Wall Street Journal's approach always been being a platform approach? So having different editors focus on different platforms and trying to... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the benefits how, how do you see that? of being a big organization, right, is that we have the resources and we have the teams that people really can sort of specialize, right? And we can have, you know, a whole team of people who are just looking at the Wall Street Journal app and we can have a whole other team, you know, that's just focusing on the website, or not just, but, you know, primarily focused on the website. And we can have a whole other team that's, you know, focused on Facebook on Twitter, uh, we have another team focusing on Snapchat. So it, it is definitely a benefit of working at a bigger company that you can really have people specialize in, in areas like that. So like, I feel like there's been a tech industry shift away from apps since, since there have been studies that have come out showing how many people go, you know, months without downloading a single app. And, you know, of the apps they have downloaded, they only actually open a small fraction of them. What's that kind of balance you try to strike between, you know, emphasizing the app versus sending people to the, the mobile website? That's a really good question. And obviously at the Wall Street Journal, we have a very unique perspective on this being a subscriber product. You know, we have a very dedicated user base of people who are coming to our app every day and who are paying for it. So we definitely have to balance that with the web and people who are maybe coming to us sideways or coming to us from social, coming to us from other channels. But I do think we, because we have such a hard paywall, we have a bit of a different perspective on that than a lot of other media and news organizations. So who's overseeing the current vision of the mobile product and what, what's, how are they approaching it now? Like you said that with the paywall. Who is overseeing it? It's a yeah. person named Lydia Sirota. It's my boss. Um, she's the mobile editor. Then we have a uh, Jennifer Hicks who was involved in this the Guardian mobile app project that you sent me, she uh, also oversees all of our digital platforms. And, and what have they set the vision to be for, for the mobile? You know, I think that we want products, I mean. the mobile product to just be a really, you know, to be a really good representation of all the best content that we have available. For example, you know, we have our iPad app, which has two different versions. It has the daily edition, which is sort of a, a version of the print newspaper for people who, you know, just want to know what happened and it's a one-time finite thing you can go back to it anytime during the day and it still has the same content or you know we also have the the latest news version which updates you know all the time every day and that's the version you can go to and really see if you want to see what's happening now so i think you know we we want to give people all of our best content uh wherever and however is easiest for them whether that's on their ipad whether that's you know, on their desktop while they're at work, whether that's on their phone while they're, you know, on their commute or sitting on the couch. It just depends. So you oversee the push alerts at the Wall Street Journal. What goes into the decision maker behind sending out a push alert? So a lot of things go into that. So we have nine categories that uh, users can subscribe to within our app. And so it's really about, obviously, there's news value and we want to send out anything that's you know big and breaking news and that we think is important that our readers should know but then it's also about a balance right and maybe something that's not breaking news but that we think is important that our readers you know might care about anyway for example you know when apple launches a new iphone maybe we have a review from our tech columnist which isn't breaking news but it's something that we think our audience might be very interested in we want to you know, push to them and make sure that they're aware that, you know, we have this kind of stuff. So I think it's all about striking a balance, right? You, you want to make sure that you get the breaking news out and you want to make sure that you get 
sort of the more featurey stuff as well, but you don't want to overwhelm people. Yeah. Right. And, you know, especially for people like me who are subscribed to all nine categories, it's like, well, how do we, how do you strike that balance? And it, I mean, it changes every day mm -hmm. and no day is ever the same. So I think, you know, it, it really is a collaborative effort here and we have lots of people and, you know, everyone's always just kind of asking, what do you guys think? What do you guys think? And we, we generally, you know, come to a consensus as a, as a group. And if there are people who disagree, you know, we work it out. And mm -hmm. I, well, I feel like, you know, hanging out on Twitter, you see people making fun of push alerts all the time about like what behind the decision-making of a particular, like, do you, do you think they're more conscious of push alert fatigue? I think definitely. It's also, I think when people make fun of us on Twitter and stuff, yeah, I see that all the time. And I'm always like, oh God, that was me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you try not to take it too personally because you're like, there's probably somebody out there <laughs> criticizing everything that anyone is doing. So you got to take it with a grain of salt. But, you know, this push alert stuff, a lot of it is pretty new. So we've done, you know, over the past couple of years, we've done a lot of experimenting with stuff. And sometimes the stuff that we send out, maybe people will make fun of and maybe people won't like it. And hopefully we'll see that reflected in our data mm -hmm. though. And, you know, we can use that to inform our decision-making in the future, but the only way you're ever going to find out is to try. So, yeah. so what, what we, kind of analytics are you, I mean, you, you mentioned the analytics are you collecting on push alerts and like, how does it inform what you do? So it's mostly, you know, we're looking at open rates, but data is one of the hardest things I think with push alerts, just because you can look at the open rate on a push alert, right? But it doesn't really tell you everything you need to know because a lot of times, and particularly with breaking news, you look at your phone, you read the alert, you know what happened, and you, you've gotten everything you needed out of that alert, mm -hmm. right? But you don't necessarily need to tap it to open the story. And so it really is, you know, this sort of balance of recognizing that numbers don't really mean everything here. And just because of an alert doesn't have a high open rate doesn't necessarily mean that it, you know, is a failure. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of why we, you know, I think that's why with sort of the more enterprisey alerts, you can look at those in a different way than you can look at breaking news alerts because with the enterprisey alerts, you really do kind of need to tap into it to learn more or hopefully if we're writing them, you know. <laughs> do you get data on when people unsubscribe to the push alert and if so like does it do you get whenever you see a huge spike do you guys look at whatever headline caused the the spike in in unsubscribes to the push alerts yeah 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 we do definitely and it's it's you know it's something you we do want to be mindful of because people are getting just inundated with alerts all day every day so we try to be mindful of that um i was at ona this year though and i led a, a table, a roundtable discussion about push alerts and, you know, when to send them, how to write them, and, and just talking to people from all around the country and even some people from outside the U.S. And there was a guy there who I can't remember his name or his organization off the top of my head, but it was, um, he was from one of these push alert, like, platforms that helps give companies the technology to send them. And he said that they actually have found that, you know, threshold for how many push alerts people will accept has risen just as, you know, more and more apps send them you know back in the day when we first got our iphones you would have died if you got 11 alerts a day from the wall street journal but nowadays i guess people are more accustomed to it because they're also getting 10 alerts from yelp and <laughs> 15 alerts from gmail and a few from twitter and it's you know it's all just like this stream that never ends so what was the key learnings and takeaways you presented at the ona if, if you can um, help us summarize that here it was more of a, a sort of a, a discussion. It was also 
one of these things that I think it's very personalized. For example, we there were some people who came to the discussion from like local TV stations. And, you know, the kind of push alert that works for a local TV station is going to be very different than the kind that works for us at the Wall Street Journal, which is going to be very different, you know, than what works at NPR or, you know, all these, everyone's audience is so different that you do kind of have to um, take that into consideration. There were some people from um, a TV station who had said they found that putting, you know, watch now or watch live or whatever actually decreased the success of their push alerts. And I think that, That's I mean, I can't I just sort of conjecturing here, but the takeaway that we concluded from that was that, you know, people don't need to be told like tap here or open here. Like we've had iPhones for quite a long time now. People know the routine. So you can kind of like, you know, just skip over that part and just, just get to the point. So how do you come up with the sequence to then present to them the push notification because you said it's for different companies it's different times like what would be your overall approach in putting the push notification to, uh, strategy? uh well you know i think you have to look at what time your users are using your app and what time they're not using their app and you know can you sort of catch them at a time you know if for example there's a dip in traffic in the evenings maybe it's because people have just kind of forgotten can you start sending something more featurey in the evening to bring people back in. We also do something that we started a year ago, maybe over a year ago, something like that, where we also, we allow users of the Wall Street Journal app to follow authors. So you can just, in any article, you know, you can tap a little plus sign next to the author name and follow that author. And then you can get a push alert every time that author publishes something. And We've seen a lot of success with that, particularly, you know, with people like columnists or writers on the opinion page, the editorial board, you know, people who really have like specific beats or specific um, unique voices. Um, we've seen some success there. Cool. So from from that, I guess I got that you've had push notification based on authorship, based on different times of the day to cater with content for, sorry, to cater for specific types of content for that specific time of day. So... You're also saying that success is different to everyone. So how was how the success look like to you? And what was an example of the campaign that you, you recently run, which you define as successful? Well, I do a lot with enterprise and, you know, coming up with the feature, these feature stories and working on push alerts for those and trying to, you know, think of how we can come at stuff at a different oh, angle. I'm just going to look it up. So I'll just give you an example of one that we did recently where we had a story about how... Uh, trading on, I think it's trading on the New York Stock Exchange. Most of the trading that happens during the day happens at 3.59 p.m. And it's, you know, because of automation and technology and all this stuff has, has forced, you know, for whatever variety of reasons, everyone waits until the very last minute. And then it's just like this huge flurry of activity. And so for that one, we decided, well, why don't we wait until that last minute of trading and send that alert at 3.59 p.m. and tell people it's, you know, it's the busiest minute. <laughs> and so we sent an alert and it said something like, 3.59 p.m., time for the last minute of trading on the New York Stock Exchange that has become the pinnacle moment for investors around the world. And that one did very well. Um, it had a lot of opens and that's the kind of thing, right? Where you're like, how can we take this story and really convey it to our readers and that was that was one where it was like you know 
oh, this happens at 3.59 p.m. Why don't we tell them at 3.59 p.m. and really sort of like connect the story to like what's happening in the real world. So real time seems like yeah. really paid an importance in, in that campaign, being able to yeah. present people real time. Let's take a step back then. So let's speak more about your background and some of the current workflows and approaches you take. So you mentioned that you went around, so you were in the Hong Kong bureau, then you went back to New York and, and stuff like this. So what led you to actually do well, that? So, yeah, um, yeah, what led so you actually to do that? I was actually so. working um, here at the Journal in New York right out of college. I was, you know, 24 young and dumb and I had the opportunity to go work at this company that I'd never heard of in Beijing and I like I said I was young and dumb and I you know I hadn't studied abroad in college and I was working here at the journal I was working on the world desk we have a bit of a different structure now but at the time you know there was a desk of editors who were devoted to editing world world news and you know I learned a lot from them and just from talking and working with them I realized that one of the common threads was they had all worked overseas. Almost everyone, you know, had worked in Brussels or in Hong Kong or, you know, in Moscow. People had, you know, really, it seemed like everyone who had reached, you know, a certain level of success had been overseas. So I was like, okay, this, they seem to be on something here, right? So this opportunity came up for me to go work at this company in Beijing. And I thought, you know what, why not? It's now or never. I'm young. I don't have, you know, I don't have a family. I don't have much of an apartment because I was 24 working in New York City, so I couldn't afford much of one. <laughs> and so I figured, why not? Let's just do it. Worst thing that happens is I go and I live in China for a year and I learn something new. And so, yeah, then I went to Beijing. I worked there for a year at this Chinese company. And then the journal actually was hiring digital editors in Hong Kong to build out our sort of real-time publishing desk there to really start, you know, publishing 24 hours a day seven days a week. And so I was able to come back to the journal by sheer luck of being in the right place at the right time, because I was already over in Asia. And then, you know, moving from Beijing to Hong Kong was just like nothing. <laughs> it's Yeah, I, th I think that having that broad experience helps you with just with the personal growth, like you said. So Brittany, what, what I was saying was that um, I just wanted to ask more about your experience in China and how that influenced your path in mobile journalism, because you mentioned that that company that you work for in China, you you were involved in a lot in WeChat and you know with with China being very heavily, heavily reliant on WeChat and mobile commerce. Mm -hmm. how, what was your learnings from that, and how do you think that that played a role in your path to mobile journalism? Sure. So uh, so at the Journal, we launched on WeChat. I don't remember the year, but um, we had both a Chinese and an English language version and. You know, I think this is definitely one of those things where you have to go to where your audience is, right? And in China, everybody's already on WeChat, so you have to go there and, and find them there. And so we had a we had a system where we would uh, publish, you know, two or three stories a day on WeChat, and then it would, you know, with uh, some teaser text, and it would actually take people from the app into, you know, the website, and they could read it there. Of course, the problem that we had with that is that then the Wall Street Journal got blocked in China, and our WeChat account got frozen as well and um yeah. so yeah that that also is just one of those things that's inevitable when you're doing business in china so what did you guys do from that setback i think by the time we got blocked i wasn't actually involved in it anymore so i'm not sure if they're still publishing or if they're not because we had one and you know english the english language version i believe wasn't blocked because you can use wechat anywhere theoretically 
and I think it was just the Chinese version that was blocked, but I'm not I'm not entirely sure if so if they're still doing that or not. It's just one of those things, not much you can do. Fair enough, yeah. It's it is what it is, I guess. It's the government. So <laughs> Brittany, so with the day to day and your workflow, what are the kind of tools are you using and what's your workflow? I know you said that every day is different and that's a hundred percent agree with you on that, but yeah, what's your workflow and your tools that you're using at the moment to help you? Oh my god, yeah. So many. I mean, I would say Slack is the number one tool. My team lives on Slack. We're, you know, constantly communicating with each other. That's where we write up our push alerts and send, you know, text to each other, workshop them back and forth. It's been a really great tool for that. And, you know, flag it to other people. We've got about 800,000 Slack channels, it seems like. And uh, I am in every single one of them. (laughs) We also use, let's see, well, for Apple News, we use Apple News Publisher. It's a CMS built by Apple um, for the Apple News um, system. We use Urban Airship. They're a third-party push alert CMS. So we use them to do um, certain stuff. And let's see what else we use. Omniture, which I think is now called Adobe Analytics. Uh, we use just to really do like the deep dives into data. We also use Parsley, which gives us kind of real-time data of what people are reading right now. What are the most popular stories today? What are the most popular stories of the past? And that's a good one just to kind of, you know, keep track of where your audience is, what people are doing. Personally, I use um, an app called Asana, which is a project management app and website uh, just to kind of keep track of my life and you know, here are all the things that I need to do today. Here are all the like meetings I need to schedule. Here are all the tasks, the tests I need to run. And that's a, been a really great, I just discovered it recently. And that's been a really great tool just to kind of keep everything organized and, you know, give it due dates, keep it on the calendar. Uh, let's see, what else? What else? We also use Pivotal Tracker. I work a lot with our product team, engineers, developers, and that is something that we use just to kind of keep track of you know, all the work that's in progress and all the work that needs done and just to kind of keep keep everything moving and, and, and on track. We use Google Docs a lot. The journal uses what's it called Google Enterprise. You know, so we have Gmail as our work email, which has been amazing. And I saw some people talking the other day, just not at the journal, a group of a group of friends saying, you know, that they one of my friends was saying she was re- actually considering whether or not the company used Gmail instead of Outlook. And using that as like a factor and making her decision on whether or not to take a job. And wow, no, that's pretty big. It, I mean, I think it was said, you know, partially in jest, but yeah, it really does make a difference because it's just a, so much easier to keep track of. And I have like a crazy, insane system by which I organize my inbox and you know everything. Hardly anything gets actually into my inbox. Everything gets sort of filtered out and you know, auto sorted into different folders and stuff so that I can just keep track of it because there's just, there's just so much going on. Emails, you get, yeah, you get, you get tons of emails. So you have to, oh my God. Yeah. so many emails. It can be, if you, if you don't have like a good system to really, you know, keep on track and keep on top and ahead of it, you can just lose yourself in email and spend, you know, end up spending an entire day just trying to sort through it all. So I can't handle that. So <laughs> I've developed my, very rigid um, sorting and filtering system. I understand that completely. So with editing and, and this story formats and content that you're working on, um, we, I know we, alerted, we spoke about real-time feature stories. Are there any other ones that you guys are you working on at the moment as part of your, edit, your role? And, and what are you working directly through the CMS in publishing those stories or 
and, and it just shows up in the app version? How, how does it work? So we, the editors on our team are choosing which stories to put in the app. And that's something that's manual, you know, being manually decided all the time. Yeah. And so someone, you know, is physically sort of dragging or, you know, adding a story, dragging it into its right position and placing it in the app and then getting the headline, getting the summary, making sure it all looks good, choosing a photo, choosing what sort of layout, you know, you want it to be in on the, on the home screen of the app. And then on the article page side, it, you know, that is all kind of handled. We're not generally not doing a lot there. That's kind of all automated and kind of matches like whatever's on the website. A couple of things we've been doing recently, um, you know, we've looked a bit into video and push alerts and with video. Our, is that something people are receptive to now that now that Apple has, you know, the technology to do these, what's it called, rich text push alerts. You can, you know, actually send a push alert where the video is in, you know, you just kind of do the long press on the iPhone mm-hmm. and you can play the video in the alert without opening it. That's something we've been kind of paying attention to. Another thing we recently launched uh, an interactive graphic that's one of these like on tap stories where, you know, you open the page and you physically tap on your phone to, to move to the next screen, sort of like a Snapchat or an Instagram stories style. So that's something that, you know, we've been watching, thinking about as well. And I think, you know, voice is an area where I haven't been super involved with what we've been doing here, but I know there is stuff going on and that's an area that I personally am very interested in and I think that's going to be you know I feel like that's the next big opportunity for publishers you know everybody's getting Alexa or Google Home or you know all these voice assistants so I I feel like the next big thing is going to be like Alexa read me my news right or Alexa what was in the Wall Street Journal today and kind of figuring out how to make that work seamlessly it's obviously a little trickier than a smartphone since Everything has to be voice commanded, but I think that's going to be a big, a big thing in the future. Well, yeah, you have to combine hardware with software. It's not like we're with social media or other platforms. You just, you're just working with, you know, online. So you have to have that infrastructure there, and everyone has to adopt it. So it, it is definitely interesting times. What do you see overall state of mobile journalism though? How do you see where it is? It is, and how do you see your uh, in speaking with other colleagues in the industry? What, mm-hmm. what do you think the overall consensus is? Well, I don't know if there is an overall consensus, but I do think, you know, it, it is something that people are are paying attention to is do you really need an app and who needs an app? And maybe not everybody does. Maybe, you know, there are ways to publish without one. I mean, I think for us at the journal, we probably do need an app because we have a lot of subscribers and people are paying a lot of money for us. Um, but I think if you are, you know, a free content or an ad supported publisher, you know, these are the sort of tough questions you have to ask because keeping an app, uh, you know, requires a lot of resources, a lot of tech resources, a lot of testing. And if people are just going to read it on the web anyway, it's, you know, it's a, it's definitely one of those decisions that people all have to make. I think people are paying attention to Apple news. It's definitely, um, you know, an area that's interesting and uh, we'll be interested to see what happens this fall when, you know, they, at the new, um, when they roll out the new iOS as they do every year, we'll be interested to see what kind of changes might come there. Uh, you know, it's just, it's a huge audience on um, Apple News. And so just kind of trying to figure that out and trying to figure out how how does that work with our subscriber audience? And, you know, do you do things the same? Do you tailor them? Do you want to make it a little different? And You know, what are people on, for example, what are people on the Apple News audience? What 
what do they want from the Wall Street Journal or what, you know, how do we really like get our brand across to them and show them, you know, the things that we're most strong in business, finance, politics, finding out what works and what doesn't work there. And I think, you know, also I think the the on tap stuff continues to be very interesting. And again, I'm not really too involved in this because we have a whole team that does our Instagram and Snapchat, but I just read today that Snapchat is stopping they're going to stop offering um, licensing fees to publishers on Discover or something like that. So that will be very interesting. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, I think they're at the stage where they're trying to open up the gates as wide as possible so that more right. people can adopt because they've plateaued at the moment. So it's interesting where where they're going to go ahead, especially when they release their advertising, when they have their advertising product more solidified as well. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And if, if does that mean that people are going to pull out or does that mean that more people are going to go in or, you know, and how does that evolve? I think, you know, the on-demand video, the sort of short, snappy, like, video clips, that's definitely something that I think we'll see a lot more of in the future. That's interesting. And in terms of building the subscriber base and audience, from what you know, do you see that, is it like mobile-first approach or, again, is it still platform approach? In building a subscription product, how how is it currently run or managed? Again, I think it you know I think it really depends on who your audience is and you know who well, you're targeting. Specifically for Wall Street Journal, I guess. Do you think in terms of building the subscription product for Wall Street Journal, are they is it primarily a mobile first approach or is it again a platform approach to trying to drive more subscriptions? I think I would say that it's, yeah, it's an all platforms approach, right? We want to give people the options to read, you know, wherever is most convenient for them. And for some people that is going to be on the app, but for some people that's going to be on the website on, you know, their desktop computer at work. And so we have to just continue to make sure that we have good offerings and, you know, fast technology and interesting features and, and good stories on all of those platforms. And, you know, I think it's also... For us, it's it's an added benefit, right? You're subscribing to the journal, but you also get this app. You can also follow news in all these certain categories. You can get push notifications when your favorite author publishes something. So it's really about making people feel like, you know, they're really getting something out of what they're paying us. Plus, this it's more about your career advice and, and about your career direction. So what motivates you to still be involved in mobile journalism and, and continue to build, help build the product and what advice do you give to other people mm, who want to get into mobile journalism? What motivates me, I guess, is just, you know, really, obviously, I love the news and I love coming into work and not knowing what the day is going to hold because every day is different and you never know, you know, what might happen and what sorts of, of news is going to break. It keeps it fresh. It keeps it exciting. And, I, you know, working on mobile, I think, is sort of an added layer on top of that because it's changing. It's evolving every day. There's, you know... There's new products, there's new apps, there's new platforms, and just keeping on top of all this and keeping up with it and really, you know, experimenting with new stuff, trying to make sure that, you know, we are where where people, we are reaching people where they already are. And in terms of advice, oh, I, I think, you know, just knowing what's out there is has been really important, not just knowing like what we're doing. But for me, you know, I've got probably... 30 news apps on my phone so and you know because I have to constantly keep up with the competition and constantly see what everybody else is doing and you know you never know where you might find ideas or inspiration and it's not even necessarily just from news apps but you know any sort of new technology that 
people are, are creating, kind of just trying to keep up with it as best as you can. Cool. And, and just to finish off, I just want to speak about oh, yeah, yeah, the sure. mentoring program that you're in as well. I just want to add that, if that's okay. So I, I read the news last week, and congratulations on being part of the mentorship program for women who want to pursue journalism. In terms of helping with career advice, how does that? How can people get involved, and what, what can they do to? Yeah, so that's something uh, that came about um, pretty organically. This year, I was accepted into the the Pointer Leadership Academy for Women in Digital Media. It's a, a week long program where they bring twenty eight women from you know various news organizations from around the world, and you get a week long program of you know, talking about career advice and managing, you know, working with different types of personalities and all negotiating, um, all this kind of stuff. And it's a really great program. And one thing that, uh, you know, I think the founders had long struggled with is there were always so I think this year there were like 600 people who applied and only 28 people got in. So one thing that, you know, everybody who's involved in the program has felt is how can we expand this? And okay, maybe not everybody's going to be able to come to Florida and go to this week-long program at Pointer, but there's clearly a huge need for more of this, you know, type of career development stuff and how can we, you know, use what we've learned there and and really bring it to other people. And somebody had an idea to do this because there were actually a couple of women in the program who kind of did it on their own. They did this independent free mentoring and coaching and we just kind of started talking and it became an idea that we should start a website and we could, you know, advertise all of this together. We could really like get a lot of momentum behind it and so we did and we launched it last week and it's a website digitalwomenleaders.com where people can go and there are a couple dozen of us you know so you can kind of find if you want to work in podcasting there's you know some people who specialize in that or if you want to work overseas there's some people who have you know had that experience and we list you know what areas we have expertise in and people can book time with us and yeah, I think for, for those of us in the program, it really just felt like it's a way to pay it back. I know for myself, I often feel like, oh, you know, I, what do I know? I, I haven't been working. I've only been working for 10 years. I don't know anything. Like, you know, we, 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 we you know, get, time, especially me. as women, I think we get into this habit of thinking that, you know, oh, we can't give advice until we're like editor in chief or, you know, like really high level. But so I think it's it's just sort of recognizing that, oh, right, I, I do have 10 years of experience and, you know, I might not have all the answers, but maybe I can help someone, you know, just with one, you know, specific problem that they have and and just to, to pay that forward a little bit. So That's awesome. I hope that this program flourishes and you get as much as the mentor. Yeah, definitely. Mentee I, did, I did my last one, or well. my first one last Thanks. week, and it was great. It, it just felt, I felt like so happy after doing it. Just, you know, it feels good to feel like you're doing something for someone 100 thank you All so right, much thanks a lot thank Take you care. so much for joining us Brittany. thank you for joining us on this episode of the state of digital publishing podcast listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks follow us on facebook twitter and join our community groups finally visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information resources and become a member today until next time